0: Well, we're, we're coming up to an end of our series on uh, what we've been calling Grow. And this whole time during the summer, we've been talking about how, uh, above all else, all the chaos that's around us, the Lord really has his eye on wanting to see his people grow through this and to know him more and to experience him and to look towards him. And so regardless of what happens around us, church, we will set our eyes on Jesus. We will fix our eyes on him. Amen? Regardless of what is happening, the chaos, disease, wars, rioting, it doesn't matter. We're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. He's on the throne. He's the king of kings, and we're going to be all right. And so this morning, I want to talk about, uh, just going along with this series on grow, I want to talk about the keys to growth. And really what I want to talk about this morning is how do we unlock our growth potential, and how do we unlock growth potential in others around us? And I want to start off by reading this really simple yet powerful parable from Jesus in Luke 13:6 it says Jesus told this story a man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it but he was always disappointed i want you to take note of that underline that if you're reading along in your bible finally he said to the gardener i've waited 3 years and there hasn't been a single fig cut it down it's just taking up space in the garden Anybody here relate to that attitude? You don't see something producing, and you are just, you get frustrated, disappointed. Cut it down. I mean, enough is enough. The fig tree is meant to bear figs. It doesn't bear figs. Cut it down. Now, if you know me, uh, one of my biggest weaknesses is impatience. I wanted it done yesterday. I wanted the problem solved yesterday. And, and I, I don't do well when I have something that I want to see and, and I'm not seeing it happen. And so when I read this, I can so relate to this guy because that's how I am. As you guys know, I love gardening and, and uh, being in my, my flower gardens. And I'm the same way with that. Kristen's like, would you just leave those flowers alone? You're digging it up and throwing those out and transplanting those, just leave them alone. I'm like, if, if they're not going to produce any flowers, I'm getting rid of them. You know, they're gone. You know, it's just, I have that same sort of feel, of when I read this, I'm like, oh man, that is totally me. That, that impatience, this, this should be producing this, and it's not, so cut it down. Now, now let me keep on reading here. The gardener answered, sir, give it one more chance. And, and if, for, if you're impatient like me, that will break you, because you're like, man, that's the heart of God right there. Sir, get, give it one more chance. And some of you guys have that. You're, you're wired that way. You're just naturally, you love giving people a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chance. You, you, you're okay with having it spend a lot of time, and even if it's not bearing the fruit that you want, you're just naturally like that. And, and you know who you are, and I love talking with you because you are the, the part of the body of Christ that helps me stay grounded. Because I'm the one that's like, cut it down. This needs to end. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let, just, Kevin, give it a little bit more time. And I'm like, oh yeah, God's patient. I should probably be patient too. So he says this, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. And if we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. I like how the NIV says it. It says it like this, this last part. Leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it And if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. I want you to look at this parable closely because Jesus describes these three steps in order to be able to see fruit where something would start bearing fruit. And the first one is is that it would get lots of attention. Let me call that love. Where we give it a lot of attention and care. And the NIV describes as this digging and let me just, let me call that truth. When you start having to dig something and dig around, hey, what's wrong with this? Why is it not producing? What's wrong with the soil? Is the soil too acidic? Is it not acidic enough? Is there rocks? Is it, is it not uh, black soil or is it the wrong kind of soil? When you start digging around, uh, that, that's the part where you're, you're, you're giving it attention. You're trying to figure out what is causing this tree to not bear fruit. And that's where I would say you had the love part, giving it a lot of attention, and then the digging, which is the truth. Hey, there's some rocks here that's hindering the growth. We gotta get rid of those rocks. And then the next one is the fertilizer, and this is the food. And this is the nourishment. Getting some nourishment on that. And then the last one, give it a year. Give it some time. So we're gonna dig around it. We're gonna give it some attention, love, and truth. And then we're gonna give it some nourishment. And then we're going to give it some time to respond to that. And then we're going to relook at it again in a year to see if there's been any more fruit produced. See, there's two sides of this story. I want to start now making it more personal for us. And really, Jesus is talking about people here. You guys get that. He's not necessarily talking about a tree or figs. Uh, he's using that to illustrate the, when it comes to people. There's two sides of the story. Is that the first one is that we have a responsibility, church, to give to give special attention to people, to give love and truth, to give compassion and empathy, to speak life and correction and encouragement. We We have the responsibility to give that to others, to do the digging and to do the fertilizing and then to be patient with people. You follow me here this morning. And then we also, though, have the responsibility to absorb. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys have a hard time uh, receiving encouragement or something when someone says something nice to you, you have a hard time receiving that you have a, it, it, you have a hard time knowing how to receive that 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 love that compliment that encouragement and and so you don 't it makes you uncomfortable because more than likely it 's because you grew up uh, where you didn 't get a lot of it so you didn't really learn how to embrace encouragement and kindness and, and when, when people would speak life over you. And so when maybe when you became a Christian or when, even when somebody would decide to do that, apart from that, you were, you just, you're just uncomfortable. You're like, uh, no, 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 it's not me. And you try to deflect or you put up a wall. That's not really true. Anybody relate to that? I'm like that. I, I can have a hard time receiving encouragement. And really what, I'm, what I've put it together as I was studying this message this week, church, is that when people give you encouragement and compliments and speak life to you and call out the best in you and call out who you really are and your destiny, your purpose, how God made you, when they do that, they're really a gift from God. It's a gift from God. And God is using that person to fertilize you so that you will grow. And so when you reject that person's encouragement, and that life they speak to you, what you're really doing is rejecting the fertilizer that God has intended to give to you so that you will grow, so you're really rejecting growth. You follow me? And so when someone speaks life to you, encouragement to you, receive it. Thank you. Man, I'm having a hard, I'll say this, I'm having a hard time thinking that, believing that, but I believe what you're saying is true, and so I'm going to receive that, because I believe that you are a gift from God right now, meant to try to fertilize my life so that I can grow. And this is really God's desire is that there's two parts of this parable. There's he wants you to give fertilizer and he wants you to absorb fertilizer. You ever hear about people that they're really great at giving, but they're really, really bad at receiving? I'm one of those people. And so it's great that you're a person that can give a lot of fertilizer. That's awesome. But God's also wanting you to receive that fertilizer from other people too, to be one that can receive that blessing. So let's look at the, the three steps here more in depth of how we see fruit being uh, produced and, and coming about in this fig tree. And the first one is, is that there's a digging around. There's a digging around. And I would say that this is probably the hardest and most uncomfortable of them all. And the reason why is because walking in freedom requires a digging and a searching and it's 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 uncomfortable, it's painful, it's awkward, it's when you have to dig into childhood stuff to be able to understand why you are the way you are now, that's uncomfortable. You know, a lot of times we'll say, Oh, you know, my childhood was fine. No, it was good, you know, my mom and dad, they made some mistakes, but it's good. Like we just try to avoid that. But God's asking that we do some digging and that we we allow him to have us revisit those places in our lives in our childhood that created pain so that he can dig out the, the rocky soil or, the, or the, the soil that's hindering our growth and to bring healing into those areas. I love how John Maxwell says it. He said, pain accompanies change. Come on, you, you older Christians out there. How many of you guys know that pain accompanies change? Huh? Parents, how many of you guys know that pain accompanies change? That you know your, your child needs to experience a little bit of a discomfort before they'll start to change and they start weighing the cost. Of, well, if I'm, gonna, if I'm gonna go ahead and make this mess after mom and dad told me not to make the mess, I gotta weigh how painful it's gonna be if they find out. I'm in parenting season, as you can tell, so I can see the wheels turning my, my son Landon. He's, he's, he's counting the cost. All right, I wanna do this. I know I shouldn't, uh, and I know that there's gonna be a pain, so is this worth the amount of pain that's gonna accompany this? You know what I'm talking about? But the pain, uh, John Maxwell is so right, pain accompanies change. One way or another, it's going to hurt to make adjustments in our lives. That's the bad news. The good news is that we can choose the pain we endure. We have two options, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Pick your pain. So you can go your whole life refusing to take any discipline from your parents, from your teachers, from authorities, And you will eventually hit somebody that will tell you no, and it's going to be extremely painful. It could mean being locked behind bars. If it goes that far, where you refuse to be heard, hear the word no, eventually someone will give you a good hard no, but it's going to be pretty painful at that point. You follow me here this morning. Isn't that true? And so the question is, is do you want to live your life with the pain of discipline or the pain of regret? See, the fig tree... The fig tree is meant to produce figs. And so the fig tree, if it won't endure the pain of change, the pain of the digging, then it'll never produce figs, so to speak. And what a disappointment and a regret for a fig tree, the entire design of the fig trees to produce figs and for it to go its entire life, so to speak, and not produce any figs. And I say all this to connect it to our lives, church. We were designed and created by God to bear fruit. And so when we go our entire lives without bearing fruit, what happens is we start living our lives with regret. And we start saying things like, man, I, I wish I would have been a, a better husband or a better wife. I, I wish I would have been a better parent. I, I wish I would have been a, a better boss. I was, I was so hard on my employees. I, I wish I would have been a better coworker and not been so grumbling and complaining. So you either have the pain of regret or you have the pain of discipline and you get to choose. Now, discipline's painful. That's what, that's what God said himself. He said, no discipline seems pleasant in the moment, but it bears fruit, the Bible says. And then, he, and then God says, I-, I discipline those whom I love. Just think about that. If you are a good parent, You will discipline your kids, not because you hate them, but because you love them. And so now here we have it where we pick the pain. And I'm going to just tell you this morning, I want to choose the pain of discipline and not the pain of regret. Amen? And so here's the first thing of a a couple of trusted tools that God uses for the digging. And the first one is the good old Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. Now that's the book for me. Nobody else is going to finish that? Yeah, come on. Yes. Yes. I didn't even grow up with that song, and you know, it's stuck in my head. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-V-L-E. All right, I'm done. It's out of my system. I can go on. I know. Right. I've been working to get on this worship team for a long time, guys. And they keep on saying no, so I'm just going to sing every once in a while to show you guys what I got. And then they, they can't help the pressure from the congregation to get me up here and be like, he's good. I mean, did you hear him sing the Bible song? He was incredible. Just, just hit that right on key. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture, say all Scripture, is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. When you read the Bible... You can either read it in trying to get ammo for your side or to justify your thinking, or you can read the Bible and say, actually, God, I want the Bible to read me. This is why people can read the Bible and justify all their belief systems that you're like, wait a minute, that's like way outside of God's word. Well, you can read the Bible to get ammo for what you want to believe. That's not really how God wants us to read the Bible. He wants us to read the Bible so that the Bible reads us. And that when we hit a part and the Holy Spirit says, whoa, 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 Kevin, whoa, I want you to pay attention to that part. That's the third time you've read patience here, Kevin. Come on. You know, oh, God, that's me. I'm, oh, I repent. Like, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is, is patience. And I desperately need that. That's what God wants us to be able to read the Bible so that it'll bring the correction into our life, that discipline into our life. And so that we can be able to be changed and be more like him. King David, after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, he cried out to the Lord in Psalm 51. It's a beautiful psalm. He said, behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you make me know wisdom. David asked God to come into his innermost being. He said, Lord, discipline me. If there's anything in my innermost being that doesn't line up with you and your will and your best for me, Get it out of there. Kick it out of my life. Remove it far from me. And so I just want to invite you this morning into the digging. And it comes through King David's prayer. If you guys have been around long enough, you know this is one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. Psalm 139, 23. And I love just to pray this together if you feel comfortable. And, And if you don't, you don't have to. And here's the reality. You're wearing masks, so I can't even see if your lips are moving, so there's no condemnation, right? All right, so let's go ahead, and for those of you who want to who take that invitation of praying this, God, would you dig in my life? Let's pray this together. Search me, oh God. Let's do it again. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. That's the beginning of the heart that wants God to come in to do some digging, that's the beginning of the humility that says, God, I'm going to invite you into my innermost being, and I want you to be able to do some digging because, God, I want to bear some fruit. I don't want to live a life of regret, so I'm asking you to come in and do some digging. And here's the other tool God uses for the digging, loving and wise believers. Loving and wise believers. Now, I had some descriptions of that believer before I it, just said believers because it's very important to find some believers that are loving and wise, that are, that are going to be an encouragement to you and not a discouragement, that are going to build you up and not beat you down, that are going to speak forth life and not death over you. Now, I have four guys in my life, and my wife, uh, so that's five. I'm good at math. I know school's been off for a while, but I got it. So I got five people in my life that I've given permission to dig, and I've told them that. You have permission to dig, and if there's anything off in my life, that doesn't line up with God's word, you let me know. But the thing is, is that they're very trusted so that I know that when they do, they're gonna be so loving and kind and non-condemning. And so I just wanna make it very clear here at the church, you don't need 50 people. If you do 50 people, you'll get discouraged because when you have 50 people digging around your life, oh my gosh, talk about a horrible feeling. Like, I, I must be a horrible person. There's 50 people telling me where I'm off. You don't need that many. Five is plenty, Find a few trusted people who can speak life into your life and, and who can dig a little bit. But again, don't think that this is humility by allowing 50 people to dig in your life. All it'll do is discourage you. And the reason and that is, is that 39th person doesn't know what 25th person said. And so they're digging and you're getting it over and over. So you're just like, oh man, I, I'm just a horrible person. And so be, be wise. And find wise people to do the digging. This is what I mean in Proverbs fifteen thirty two, It says, if you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. You'll start to grow. Proverbs 12, 1 says, to learn, I, I'm so I just love this. <laughs> to learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. You want to know the truth here this morning, church? Can I be completely honest? I just wanted to say stupid in church. It's horrible. <laughs> So it's was like, oh, there, there it is. It's justified. It's right there in the Bible. It says it's stupid. To... <laughs> it's right there. Not saying that you're stupid. That's not what it says. It says it's, it is stupid, though, to despise or to not listen to correction, to hate correction. So, so let me just say th- this, this with this point. It's really good to dig. It's biblical. We need to dig. But we just can't focus on the digging alone. Because what happens if all you focus on is the digging? It turns into this worm theology. What I mean by that, by worm theology, oh God, I'm just a miserable, awful person. uh, I just can't stop sinning. And it becomes very self-focused. It becomes sin-focused. And and so now, all of a sudden, you're just beating yourself down. And it's actually contrary to the Bible, because if you believe in Jesus, he's removed your sin as far as east is from the west, which means then you don't have to live underneath the condemnation and shame of sin anymore. And so, you have to be careful not to just dig, 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 and all you ever do is dig. And I love how Dr. Henry Cloud said it, this about the dig. And he said, The past allows us to gain insight, forgive ourselves and others, learn where our distorted thinking came from, and express our hurt. But archaeology never built a new building. Did you hear that? Archaeology never built a new building, and the focus of this healing process is to build something new. So it's good to, for a time to be, be like the archaeologists where they, we're trying to dig up the things, what, what, what's behind this. But don't stay there because archaeologists don't build anything new. And God's purpose is that he wants to build something new in your life. He wants you to bear more fruit. And which leads me to the second part. And this is the start of the building, and that is the fertilizing. Fertilizing. He wants us to fertilize others. He wants others to fertilize us. And what's so fascinating about fertilizer is it comes externally. The plant doesn't produce or the tree doesn't produce fertilizer in of themselves. It has to come from an external source. That's how fertilizer works. And God has given us these good people, these good things around us on the outside to be a part of a healthy community of believers, which is essential so that you can be fertilized. So you can have that fertilizer help grow your life. And I used to say, this statement, and it was after I got burned by a church years ago. Oh, we don't need church. All we need is Jesus. You ever hear that statement before? Well, I, I said that, and I didn't realize how contradictory that statement is, because Jesus is the head of the church. The church is his bride, and it's it's uh, it has people. That's what make up the church. His bride is people, and so when we say we don't need the need the church, it's not true. We do because Jesus. His, his mechanism, his means of fertilizing my life and your life is people. It's the church. That he, he's designed the church to help each other grow and so that we can fertilize each other. So when we say these statements of I don't need church, not true. That is your vehicle. That is your means, your mechanism of experiencing growth in your life. Again, I love what Dr. Henry Cloud said. And it's in his class, Churches That Heal. And just to give you a little background, uh, we as a staff went through a training uh, and some classes together uh, by Dr. Henry Cloud called Churches That Heal. And this is where a lot of this is coming from here this morning. And, we, and the reason why, it's very simple. We as Crosspoint want to be known as a church that heals. Not a, not a church that brings more brokenness and pain to people's lives, but a church that brings healing and life to people. You follow me? And so this is what... This is what Dr. Henry Cloud said, and I love it. He said, if a finger is cut off, we don't take the finger and put it in an anatomy book and tell it to get healed. Any amens? That's true, right? We don't do that? That would be a horrible idea? He says, no, we attach it to the body and let the body work to bring healing the head releases blood to bring more oxygen to the finger the organs get to work pumping away to keep the body clean and the immune system kicks into overdrive to start fighting any infection sometimes Jesus does a miracle and surpasses this process but warns us not to disconnect the body I want you to get this here this morning if you get nothing else get this last sentence the body can start healing itself if it can start working together I thought I'd get an amen no? okay I'll just keep on going you guys are like, we're out of air. Sorry, pastor. Like it. This scripture that I'm about to read has taken on a whole new meaning after reading that of how the body works and how the body's meant to help heal itself. And I'm no doctor here this morning. Some of you guys could speak to this even more. But this concept is so cool to me. Ephesians 4.14, the apostle Paul said, We will speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body. I love this because right away it says truth and love. That is that is the digging and the fertilizer. So we're gonna we're gonna dig and we're gonna fertilize. We're gonna speak truth, we're gonna speak love. And then it says, and we make the whole body fit together perfectly, and he, Jesus, makes the whole body fit as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy. And growing and full of love. Let me just run with that. So Jesus is the head, right? The head releases the oxygen and the blood needed. Did Jesus release his blood for our healing? And it brought brought forth this breath in our lungs. It brought us back to life what Jesus did. It, it resurrected us. So Jesus, he's the head of the church. He releases the blood. He releases the oxygen into our life. And he's asked the rest of the body of the church to be those organs, to be the immune system, to fight for each other so that we can be whole and healed physically, emotionally, and spiritually in every way. That the church would be marked and how the community would see the church. That's the place that people, broken people, go into and get healed and whole. That's what I want our church to have as a testimony to our communities. But yeah, that's the place. That person was really broken, really addicted. And they walked into that place and, and they got healed. They're a different person now because the body brought healing to the rest of the body, to the, bodies, the body parts that were hurting. And no wonder the devil attacks us and attacks our unity relentlessly. No wonder. You think the devil's dumb and he doesn't know that if we work together in unity that the body will bring forth healing and life to one another? Do you think that he doesn't know that? Do you think he's like, hmm, I didn't even figure that out yet? No, he knows that, and that's why he fights relentlessly to keep the fi- the church filled with division and disunity and gossip and slander and all sorts of nastiness so that the body won't come together and help each other heal. In fact, the body is fighting against itself. How many of you guys know that the body doesn't do too well when it fights against itself? When you have one part of the body, your physical body, fighting another part of your physical body, your body's in big. Trouble. And here God makes a similar connection with the church. That when we when we work together, it's a beautiful thing because it brings forth healing. When we fight with each other, man, it it brings so much pain and destruction within the body of believers. And no wonder the biggest damage of COVID-19 has been to get us even more isolated and disconnected than ever before. No wonder. The devil's no idiot. He, he, if he can get, keep the church divided and isolated and alone and bitter and angry, and all these things, it'll never be able to come together and heal itself and do the purpose in which Christ has died for. You know, I can feel kind of hopeless and discouraged as I talk about this with you. And maybe you feel that. And believe me, I'm just going to let you in. I've struggled to stay out of that pit of despair of is the church ever going to get its act together? Is the church ever going to be able to be this, Ephesians 4? Is it ever going to be able to do like what I read with Dr. Henry Cloud, where it can be a, a healthy church that is helping each other heal, not breaking each other down? Okay, are we going to be able to ever do that? God, it just seems so, so hopeless. And are we ever going to be able to get enough healing in our lives so that we bring healing to other people and not, not pain? Now, there's a story in the Bible that has brought a lot of encouragement to me through this, and I want to share it with you here this morning. You guys ever hear the story of Joseph, Joseph in the Bible? So let me just, I'm not, I'm not saying this to um, insult your intelligence or your biblical knowledge, but let me just give you a quick recap of Joseph. So he's, he's the, one of the younger brothers, and dad likes him the most. Dad makes it very apparent that he likes him the most. Favoritism is a generational curse of this family, if you'll read about it. Every, every dad had his favorite, and it made the other kids mad. And so it was no different here. Joseph's the favorite. The rest of the brothers are very jealous and envious, and they want the father's love like Joseph's getting the father's love. So they decide that they're going to end this problem, and so they sell Joseph into slavery to Egypt. Joseph had the favor of God on him, got raised up to this position within Potiphar's house, which I believe was one of the leaders within the government at the time under Pharaoh. And so things are going really well until Potiphar's wife wanted to be able to have sex with Joseph. Joseph's like, no way. Potiphar's wife grabs a hold of Joseph's garment. No story. Joseph slips out of his garment and basically runs away naked. Teenagers, run! There's his message right there. All right, we're going to keep on going. He gets sent to jail. So he goes to jail, and while he's in, in prison, which obviously is a way worse prison than what we're, we can imagine here in the United States, he is, is having to wrestle with this. And I can't imagine what it is like of thinking, my brothers did this to me. Man, I can't, why would they, why would my own flesh and blood sell me into slavery? And, and during that time, uh, Pharaoh has this dream about this famine that's going to hit the earth. Joseph, through a series of events, interprets the dream, Pharaoh elevates Joseph to second command in Egypt, only behind him, and he's basically running the, the whole country and the economy of the country, and people from all around the known world are having to come to Egypt to get the grain, because Egypt stored up knowing that this famine was going to be able to hit, and they became the most powerful nation in the world because of Joseph. And so Joseph's brothers, who were in another land, and, and where, where, where Israel's at right now, they, they came down to be able to get some food, and they ran into Joseph and didn't even even know that it was their brother. They didn't even know if their brother was alive. Eventually, they find out that Joseph's alive and who he is in this land. second command. And this is what they said in Genesis 50, 16. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, I want you to catch this reply. If you checked out, check back in right now. Don't be afraid of me. Am I I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Here's my point. Joseph had so much of life's manure thrown at him. I mean, his brothers betraying him like that. Being wrongfully accused, spending time in prison. And he could have got underneath the weight of all that manure that was thrown at him, but instead Joseph let it become fertilizer. Don't I sound like a hip pastor right now? Man, Joseph took the manure and turned it into fertilizer. Hashtag. Oh, it should be hashtag first. You know, <laughs> you know that I'm not really in. <laughs> But he, it's a beauty of, of Joseph's story. He took the manure that was thrown at him, and he turned it into fertilizer. Now, based off your conviction, you can put another word in there, okay? I mean, your, your, your own personal conscience. But he turned that stuff into fertilizer. It brought life and nourishment to so many others, and it brought healing and restoration to the whole family. And I believe that in the midst of all the manure of life, church— all the stuff that's being thrown at you, all the things that you're going through, the the painful, toxic stuff that's happening around you, that God can turn it into fertilizer. He can use a very manure that's trying to destroy your life and allow it to be turned into something that's going to allow you to grow. Get that. So the devil's trying to destroy Joseph, flinging all this manure at him. God takes the manure and turns it into fertilizer so that Joseph could grow. And that's such a beautiful story. How many of you guys think that God's the same today as he was yesterday? And today and forever. That he's still that God that can take the stuff of your life, the painful stuff, the, the nasty stuff, the gross stuff, the smelly stuff, and he can turn it into fertilizer that will allow for your growth. This is what I'm learning. When other people are at their worst, and when I'm at my worst, God is at his best and he's still good. He's still good. He's still a good God. And and what we sang about today, that song is so powerful. Even when I don't see it, he's still working. Even when I don't see it, he's still moving. He is working on taking the manure of your life, whether you caused it or not, and he's working to turn it into fertilizer for your growth. It's such an amazing thing what our God is able to do. But like a lot of you, I don't always feel that and see that working. But I had this thought. So most of you guys know I grew up on the farm, and one of the things that I messed up on one time, because I didn't know this, is that if you take fresh manure and you spread it on a hay field, you will kill off the hay. Didn't know that. You know how hard it is to cover up that mistake? Farmer comes in, he's like, hey, Kevin, what happened out there? Like, half my hay field's dead. I have no idea. (laughs) Must have been a bug. I mean, it's a perfect, like, line, though, like, right where the spreader would have been. That's weird. That's weird shocking. By the way, can I have my raise? No, (laughs) it's not a good time to ask for a raise right there. But what I learned was that you have to actually let manure age a little bit before it turns into fertilizer. When I worked on a farm outside of town here, there would be people that would stop by and they wanted some manure for their gardens. And they'd be like, no, not that fresh stuff. I don't want that fresh stuff right there. You got any stuff where it's been aged a little bit? No problem. Let me hook you up. I have all the aged manure you can handle. You know, I felt like, you know, a superhero at that point. I'm going to. And so this is what I've learned is that when manure gets flung on us initially, it's toxic, it's painful, it's hard. But if you'll wait and you'll let that manure age, so to speak, it'll turn into fertilizer. And the trick is not to give up when it first gets flung on you. And not to throw in the towel and not to say enough is enough, look at at the damage, but to realize, no, no, God's going to turn this for good because he loves me and I'm called according to his purpose. He's going to be the same God that he was to Joseph. He's going to be the same God to me. And he's going to do the same thing. But we wait and we allow him to turn that manure into fertilizer. And then here's the last thing here this morning. So we let God dig and we let others dig in our lives. We fertilize and we let others fertilize. And then finally, we give it a year. Now, this is probably the one that I'm struggling with the most, church, right now. Because do you know that uh, God has a hard time answering the prayer? God, would you make me patient in a week? That's a tough prayer, isn't it? God, I am really impatient about being impatient. So if you could just take care of my patience in a week, that would really take care of my impatience. Yeah, I've had that prayer with God before. How many of you guys know that the only way to patience is waiting? Oh, got one, yeah. That's exciting. You guys are in the same boat as me. That makes me feel really good. Hey, we're in this together, church. God's timing is not my timing. God's way is different than my way a lot of times. In Psalm 27 13, the psalmist says, Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes. Wait patiently for the Lord. I think that when God repeats stuff, He really wants us to pay attention. And twice he said, wait patiently. Yes, wait patiently. And in the while you have that, that fresh manure flung on you and you're waiting patiently, he said, Be brave and courageous. Because you're going to need some courage to walk through the life when, when life throws that at you. You're going to need some courage. You need to be brave because you're going to want to throw in the towel. And God says, No, 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 don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. Don't give up. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. I'm going to turn that into fertilizer. It's going to help you grow. I promise you. Just wait. Would you stand to your feet here this morning? I just want to make this personal for your life. I just want to ask you, do you have a person or a circumstance that you are so fed up with that you're like that man, cut that down. Cut it out. I'm done. I'm done with it you want to be done, but God is asking you here this morning, would you give it a year? Would you dig? Would you fertilize? And would you see if God can produce something beautiful from that? Would you wait and see if he can allow that that manure that just got thrown at you to age a little bit and turn it into fertilizer? Maybe it's your marriage. You're disappointed and frustrated beyond words. You're wanting to give up. You're wanting to throw in the towel. But God says this, hear me this morning if you're married, give it another year. Put a lot of energy and care and love into that relationship. Don't neglect it. Dig. Get professional counseling, books, resources, other married couples, and see what good can happen after a year. Maybe it's a friendship that has gone sideways for you. And God says this morning, give it another year. Dig. Fertilize and see if you can see fruit come from that relationship again. Maybe it's someone who works for you and you realize they just need more love and encouragement and training and resources and they just need some time to do a good job. Or maybe it's the church. Maybe you've been burned by church. Maybe this one. But God is saying, Would you give it a year? Would you give me more time? Would you wait? Would you go all in and get connected with a community? Would you join a small group, serve, give financially? Would you dig and confront the sources of contention? Would you give in time and energy? And would you just wait and see, wait and see if something will grow? And I'll just tell you, if you do this for a year here, and you still see no fruit, go find another church. Seriously. I'll, be the, I'll, I'll take the Sunday off and walk with you to another church, find another church with you. But I'm just convinced that if we will dig and fertilize and wait, we will see that fruit. Maybe, I want you to hear me on this one because I think that a lot of us are here. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's you. If you're an impatient person like me, you're probably the most impatient with yourself. Because... You wanted to see the fruit yesterday. You wanted to see the growth yesterday. I'm like that. I'm impatient, but I'm the most impatient with myself because I want to see more results. I want to see more fruit. And I just believe that we need to take a deep breath here this morning. We need to be more patient with ourselves. And we need to give ourselves a year, so to speak. And to do some digging and to let others, trusted people, to dig around our lives, to be able to do some fertilizing And then to be able to wait and see God bear some fruit. And I'm convinced if we will do this over time, church, we will see fruit. We'll see fruit. Now, that relationship might not have worked out or might not work out after a year, so to speak. There's no guarantee because that other person has a will too. And so if they don't choose that same, it might not work out. But here's what I promise you. If you will do this, you will change and you will bear more fruit. And this is what's going to happen in your life. Galatians 5.22. The Holy Spirit's going to produce this kind of fruit in your lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Church, would you let me know here this morning by, by responding to me, how many of you guys want the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life? Then it's going to require some digging, some fertilizing, and some waiting and being patient. That's what's going to require. I want to pray, and then we're going to go into one last song. And this is really the key behind it, putting our eyes squarely on Jesus before we leave this place here this morning, knowing that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the only one that can transform your life. I can't. Your spouse can't. Only Jesus Only Jesus can do the transformational work in your life. And that's why we're going to end today's service by pointing and looking unto him, the author and finisher, and the only one who can transform the human heart. So Father, we just thank you that you are a good, good dad. And I thank you, God, that you're a lot more patient with us than we are with ourselves. You're a lot more patient with others than we are with others. And so Lord, I pray that we would be true followers of Jesus Christ and we would take heed to what you said, Jesus. And we would dig and we'd allow others to dig. That we would fertilize, and we'd allow others to fertilize us. And that we would give it a year. We'd give ourselves some time, we'd give other people time, and we would wait until we see the fruit that you promise. In Jesus' name, amen.